Luke chapter number 11, verse number 1. Now it came to pass as he, that's Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased or stopped praying that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Father, thank you for sending your son into the world. What a phenomenal gift he brought to us. In fact, plural, gifts. And he constructed the bridge back to you on our behalf. So once again, we could be restored because we were lost, but now we're found. So we rejoice in our Savior. He taught us how to commune together with you, to have fellowship. May we be like those disciples, yearning and learning how to commune with you. And what we've learned from you is that because of your Son, we get to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Of all the great gifts associated with the coming of Jesus into the world and their multiple gifts he brought, the Savior, Jesus the Messiah, the gift of prayer is one of the most overlooked and often neglected gifts that Jesus gave to us. His disciples were asking because they observed the connection between the revelation of Jesus, what he shared, the miracles he performed, and his prayer, his faithful prayer to commune with the Father. They had no idea what they were going to, the answer they were going to get, and the information they were going to be able to glean once they learned how to commune like Jesus did, to learn to pray specific prayers. And as we conclude this year, and we get ready for the new year in just a few weeks. We'll begin that new year with a 21-day Daniel fast. Can't wait to start a new year coming before the Lord with intensified prayer and added fasting. And, and here are five ways I'm going to give you to learn how to pray that you can start immediately and using immediately to conclude this year going this way and start the new year continuing that way. And God will speak to you and bless you when you release your faith for these five principles. They're for students. They're for business people, career people, stay-at-home moms. God has a plan and a destiny for every single life. And there are five principles God has for you today so you can fulfill those plans that God has for your life. So you might want to take some notes. You might want to use your smartphone, not to text your friends right now, but actually learn some life's lessons today. And these principles all begin with the letter P, so they're easy to remember and easier for you to use starting immediately tomorrow. First, get God's perspective. Perspective. Perspective for your life and whatever you're facing today. There was a factory worker, and where he was employed, the residue produced from the manufacturing always left wood shavings all over the floor. So he took a box, and he collected the wood shavings, and he placed them in a box, then into a wheelbarrow. And the security guard stopped him as he was exiting the factory and said, what's in the box in the wheelbarrow? And the man answered, well, I have the wood shavings from off the factory floor. I swept them up. I'm going to take them home as a project because they're going to get thrown out. And the guard said, well, open the box. So he opened the box, and there was nothing. As he went through it, there was nothing but wood shavings. 
So he passed them along, and he left. But day after day, for two weeks, this man passed the same guard with a box of wood shavings from the factory. After two weeks, the security guard got a little suspicious, and he said, stop. He said, I feel like something's just not right in what you're doing here. I'm going to ask you one more time, what are you really doing? If you tell me the truth, I won't turn you in, and this is your last chance. So the employee said, look, you got me. I'm stealing wheelbarrows. Okay? You can become so distracted by the small things, you miss the big things. Did you know that? You can focus on the minor and miss the major. Perspective is very important. It's what the prophet said to his servant when he came running to the prophet Elisha. Servant said, we're surrounded by the Assyrians. They're coming from every direction at us. What are we going to do? When the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? What should we do? Elisha prayed, God, open the eyes of my servant. In other words, change his perspective. He's looking at the enemy. God, if you will open his eyes, you'll see the bigger picture. See, the servant needed God's perspective. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha, he had to look around and go, there's only two of us. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When his eyes were opened, the servant looked at the very same situation, but this time, not only seeing the enemy, he also saw the angelic hosts of the Lord's armies. They weren't surrounded by the Assyrians. God had the enemies surrounded and was about to deliver them into the hand of Elisha. So you're either looking at the enemy or you're looking at the angels of the Lord. You're looking at the problem or you're looking at the promises. And what we need today is to, to live victorious and powerfully in this culture, the right perspective. You have to see what God sees. No matter what you're facing, don't get your eyes on the littleness of the issue. He's working all things. There's a bigger picture to every trial, to every challenge, to every adversity that we go through. There's God's perspective, and he's working all things together for good. So perspective is so important, and prayer changes your perspective. And as you exercise the gift of prayer and you say, God, show me the big picture. You go doing what Jesus taught us to do. Help me get the perspective of what you see, not the temporal circumstance I see. What we see creates fear and worry. So look at God's perspective. How do you see it, Lord? Second, be a person of prayer. Prayer. If you want true victory in your life, if you desire to be an overcomer and not be under the pressures and the stresses remaining defeated by them, your prayer, open my eyes. Let me see the best. Let me see the good. Let me see the greatness of the plan that you have for my life. Be vigilantly prayerful. There was a family who bought a kitten for their children for Christmas. They were so in love with that little kitten. This tiny little thing could fit in their hand. 
And one day they took it outdoors to play, just a few days after Christmas, and it quickly ran up a tree. It goes out on the limb and started to fall off the limb of the tree, but it held on by its paws and didn't have enough strength to pull itself back up on the limb. So they called for their daddy. Daddy, help! And he was a pastor. And so he said, hey, I can help you with this. And he backed his car up and he got a rope and he tied one end of the rope to his car and the other end to the limb of that tree where the cat was. And he said to the family, look, I'm going to go, I'm got, I got this tied down here and I'm going to pull on this rope and back in my car up and then the limb will begin to bend. And he said, so he began to back up this car and he said, soon as the limb gets far enough down, you'll be able to get the, the cat, the kitten from the tree and save the kitten. So slowly he begins to back up his car and the tree limb begins to bend and the cat was almost in reach of his children and all of a sudden, even though everything was going just as planned, the rope broke. The end. (laughs) In spite of what people tell you, every story doesn't end with happily ever after. Poor kitten. Two weeks later, the pastor and his wife were visiting a woman with her family in their home. They knocked on the door, and the woman invited the pastor and his wife in. There was a beautiful little kitten there. And the pastor and his wife immediately recognized without question, this is our lost kitten. So the pastor, not wanting to put the woman on the spot, said, what a beautiful kitten. How long have you had this kitten? He said, pastor, you won't believe this. We've had this kitten for two weeks. And you wouldn't believe how this kitten came into our family. He said, tell me. He said, well, my daughter Annie has been pestering me for a kitten. Please, please. I want a kitten. And just pestered mom all the time. Day and night, she pestered mom for a kitten. She said, the other day we were out in the garden, and she started again. Please, I want a kitten. And the mother said, look, I had all I could take. And I said to Annie, get down on your knees. If the Lord Jesus wants you to have a kitten, he'll send you a kitten all the way from heaven. So what some people would call coincidence was really an answer to prayer. And there's the point about being prayerful. What other people call coincidental, when we pray, when we pray coincidences happen. When we don't pray, coincidences don't happen. So say it like this when I pray. Coincidences happen. When I don't pray, coincidences don't happen. Because sometimes we just make our own decisions and we really haven't prayed. And then we say, God, oh, by the way, bless what I'm doing here. No, it's not the way it works. That's why you need to apply push concept in your prayer life. Push stands for pray until something happens. Because when we pray, coincidences happen. What a coincidence is coincidence that I needed a good report and, and I, I went to the doctor and I had the exam and I feared the worst, but I got a good report. I needed to get a break in a certain business deal I was working on and all of a sudden, everything broke in the right direction. It's amazing. Coincidences come to the lives of some and then there are other people who rarely have them. Why? I'm convinced and I testify when I have prayed specific things. God then manifests those in my life. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. Say, be prayerful. prayerful. 
and don't quit praying, but pray until something happens. Push. And just don't pray a day. Don't just pray a week. Don't just pray a month. But pray until something happens. Gain God's perspective. See the big picture. See what God sees. Then be a person of prayer. And here's how it all ties together. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And then number three, develop your potential. Potential. God's created each one of you with amazing potential. That does not automatically mean you will reach your potential. And I've been in a series on Sunday nights about this and the testings that we go through to get to our destiny. And boy, if you've been missing that, you've been missing a lot of helpful information. There's a fish called the koi. The koi is an amazing fish in that it's influenced by its environment. A koi can be placed in a small bowl, and the koi will never grow beyond four inches in length. If you take the same koi and put it in a large aquarium, it'll grow to eight inches. If you take that same koi and place it in a pond, it'll grow to 18 inches in length even though it couldn't grow any larger than that, than the few, either the four or the eight inches in a smaller environment. If you take the same koi out of the pond and place it in a lake, it'll grow to 42 inches. Every koi has the potential to grow to 42 inches in length, but many never exceed four inches because they're stuck in a bowl. And the same is true for every person in the body of Christ. You have enormous capabilities God has potential. He's fit you like stones into a building in the local house of God in order for you to grow and take your place as a member of the family of the Lord. But if you never get mentored, if you refuse to be taught, if you are unwilling to have a teachable spirit, if you're never challenged to grow beyond where you are to greater things, if all you do is remain a small fish in that bowl, Instead of being around people, more experienced, doing more, attempting greater things, stretching you, challenging you, causing you to reach and use your faith to be better equipped because you've got enormous potential. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So don't live in a little bowl sitting in a pew in the local body called Calvary Christian Center. God has great things for you to do in this body and great ministry for you. It's like the ice factory that caught on fire. And the firefighters were all called out to go put out the fire in the ice factory. And the ice factory contained all the H2O needed to deal with that fire. Problem was, all of us assets were frozen. And I'm saying to you, you have enormous potential. But if you sit frozen... I'm going to make a movie of the church, Frozen, not just Disney. As long as you refuse to, to be challenged, it's frozen, not being released, just there. Listen, you cannot grow to where God intends you to grow if you're frozen. Everyone say, God, release my potential. Because you all have enormous potential to do amazing things for the Lord. Amen? Amazing things. Get God's perspective. Be prayerful. Let God challenge your potential. That's why it was said, 
of this little band of ignorant and unlearned men, they took note of them because they had been with Jesus and were willing to be mentored and learn from him so that they could stand in the temple and make a case for the kingdom of God. So get God's perspective. Be prayerful. Let God challenge your potential. Ask God to help you. You are, you are designed to move from faith to faith, from victory to victory, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to grow up and mature in the body of Christ until you come into the fullness of the stature and the measure of Jesus Christ. Don't allow yourself to settle for less than that. God has greater things at Calvary Christian Center than this. Each of us growing into God's potential to do what God's designed us to do. We step into our destiny and become a world-changing church. Everyone perfecting the gifts that God gave you. So what do I see? I see God has our adversary surrounded. And ask God to continuously enlarge you using your potential. Believe God to grow. He has enormous potential that's yet to be seen in every single one of us. And fourth, be positive. Tell somebody, be positive. I'm teaching on Wednesday nights out of the Beatitudes, and you need to be here to listen. These are important lessons Jesus taught. There are eight of them. I call this the ninth Beatitude. Be positive. There are too many people with negative attitudes in our culture today. Negative people don't build things. Negative people don't accomplish things. Negative people want to be, remain comfortable. And if I were to ask you, remember the names of the two spies who came out of the promised land, and they walk up to Moses and they said, we are well able to take the land. Do you remember those two? Do you remember their names? What were their names? Ah. You probably know somebody named Joshua or Caleb because children are named after these men of faith. We like to name our children after people who do positive things. So you've read the story. Twelve spies have been sent in to recon all of the promised land. Two had the report of the Lord. They had the correct perspective. Ten out of the twelve came back with a negative perspective, and God himself called it an evil report. So here's your chance to reveal how biblically knowledgeable you are. Name the ten spies. Anybody? They came back with a negative report. We're grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way we can take the promised land. Do you know why no one knows their names? They're in the Bible. Because nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody names their children after negative people like that. Be positive. Tell somebody, be positive. When David saw Goliath, he had two possible reactions. He could have run away and said, hey, he's so huge. There's no way I'm taking him on. Instead, he ran toward Goliath, and he said, he's so huge, there's no way I can miss this giant. I'll take him out with my sling. Be positive. If you'll be positive, you'll stand out in life. Because if Bill and Sue have a problem, and Bill and Mary have a problem, and Bill and Jack have a problem, and Bill and Sam have a problem, Bill is the problem. 
And I've learned something about negative people. If you hang out with negative people, it's because you're acquiring a negative attitude. Count on it. And you'll be turned, you'll be turned hanging out with negative people. You'll be turned because you attract what you are. Be positive. Don't stay down. Don't remain discouraged. Don't remain depressed. Don't give up. There are seasons in our lives. Some are great. Some are not so great. But be positive. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say. Fifth, expect God's provision. Why? Because God owns everything. Everything. When we began in the ministry, other than what we had from college, we had nothing. You know, we didn't have anything. But what we learned early because of the way we were taught and raised in our homes, we put the Lord first in everything. And so from the day we got married, we continued what we had done as singles. We tithed and put the Lord first from the very first day. And God has taken care of us all these years. Isn't that amazing? wonder why that works. Because we were willing and obedient. Man was waiting for his flight in an airport. And he had a little time to kill. So though he wasn't hungry, he went and bought a bag of donuts. And all the tables were full in the eating area, but one. One person was seated at one table where he thought, well, maybe I can sit over there. And he walked over to it and asked, mind if I sit down? So he starts sipping some coffee. And he reaches and gets a donut, and he starts to read his paper. Now, the man across from him at the table reached his hand across the table into the bag of donuts and took a donut, began to eat it. The audacity, he thought, this guy's eating my donuts. So, you know, he moved the donuts a little closer to himself and turned his body to send a body language message. Eat my donuts alone. <laughs> <laughs> And so he went to get himself another donut. But then all of a sudden, that guy on the other side of the table got up, reached across the table, and took another donut out of the bag and sat back down smiling and eating that donut, looking at him, eating the donut. So the guy who had come a little later to the table, who's brought his own donuts, he's, he's like angry. He's like, this guy is a banana short of a fruit basket. I mean... Is he, is he nuts? Is he violent? What's wrong with this guy? And after he ate the second donut, then the man stands up going to get his flight. And he takes his stuff and he picks up the bag of donuts off the table and he heads to the gate. And the man's thinking, he's a thief. How rude. He took my bag of donuts. Now the man who brought the donuts, who came to the table is the second at that table, it's, it's time for his plane to leave. So he gets up, and he goes to reach for his coat that's on his carry-on bag. And he picks up his coat off his carry-on bag, and he realizes, uh, that's where I put my bag of donuts when I first came to the table. <laughs> he put them there when he had sat down, but the man at the table already had a bag of donuts on the table, and he thought the man was taking donuts from him when really the man was sharing his donuts, even with a smile. So the not-so-smart guy could enjoy a donut. The point is, what's in that box? 
Huh? Give me that box. Here's the point. Pastor Pat only left one. (laughs) The point is, God owns all the donuts. I said, God owns all the donuts. What do you mean, Pastor? You want the God wants one out of ten donuts. What do you mean? God owns all the donuts, and there's the one right there, right? Too many Christians don't get who God is. Like you have to sacrifice so much to him to give him one out of ten. When he gives you ten every single week, and all he wants back is one donut. Say it, God owns all the donuts. And if he wants to, he can take all the donuts off your table. But he's a good God, and he keeps blessing you. And you eat five and six and seven and eight and nine donuts and say, it's too much to give this one donut to the one who owns them all. Really? And you eat and you eat and the offering basket comes by and all you throw God are the leftover crumbs. When God owns it all, we're supposed to give God the first of our time, of our talents and of our treasure. Well, what does that mean? That means we are simply stewards of everything God puts in our hands. Acknowledging that means we tithe our talent, our time, and our treasure. What does that mean? Put God first. Simple. Real easy. Put God first. Think of life like a car. It's like an automobile. Being a follower of Jesus means you have Jesus in your car. Are you a Christian? Where's Christ in your car? Some people say they're Christians, but they pull into a church parking lot. They get out, open the trunk, pull Jesus out, and say, let's go to church. It's spiritual happy hour. We'll go in there. We'll put in our time. When the service is over, the trunk is popped. Jesus is told to get there and be quiet because now I'm going to drive my life the rest of the week the way I please. Someone say, Pastor, that's not me. I'm much more spiritual than that. Yep. Moved him from the trunk to the back seat. He's still in the car. Thank the Lord. But he's in the back seat, and he doesn't have a whole lot of say-so from the back seat. He doesn't determine the direction. He doesn't determine the decisions. He's just kind of allowed to ride along back there like there's where he sits. And just don't bug me too much while you're back there because I've got places to go this week. And others would say, well, I'm more spiritual than that. I have him riding shotgun. He's, He's in the shotgun seat. He's my companion. He goes with me everywhere I go. But he's still not Lord. He must be first. And if he's going to be first, you give him the steering wheel. (laughs) And once he takes the steering wheel, here's one more question he has for you. Are you a backseat driver? Because when Jesus takes the wheel, he doesn't want you back there chattering over his shoulder while he comes to an intersection in your life and he says, I'm hanging right here. You say, Lord, where are you going? And he says, this is where I planted you. Here's where you need to develop. Here's where you have to mature and become fruitful so I can use you down the road. And you say, well, I don't want to go down that road. I want to go down this road because that's what's best for me. He said, I've got the wheel. You're a backseat driver. He says, we're on the road to forgiveness. I don't want to go down that road. I don't like that person. He says, we have to go down that road because I've chosen it. 
Then he takes you down the road called generosity, lane. <laughs> I want you to let me be Lord of everything in your life. I'm asking more of you than I've ever asked. Lord, I don't want to go down that road, generosity lane. Don't ask me to sacrifice for your kingdom. I'm saying to you, folks, this is more than mouth service. If you desire God to be your provider, if you'll put God first, he will bless your life, and all these things will follow you. So quickly, five questions you need to ask if you really want to know if Jesus is first in your life. And there's no game playing here. Everybody says he's first. I love him. Everybody says that. If he's not first in these areas of your life, he's just not first in your life. So I'll use the word first as an acrostic. F, is God first in your finances? And Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is God first in your finances? Don't say he's first if he's not first in your finances. Do you honor him by bringing all the tithe into his house? Do you? Do you honor him with giving offerings, special gifts to the body of Christ? See, this is not a commercial. This is not your pastor asking for your money. This is the word of Jesus himself because 16 out of 38 parables that he taught were about money, stewardship, how you handle your resources because he understood the love of money is the root of all evil. So the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet because to lust for something and to get it, you will compromise anything, put you in that category. There's nothing wrong with having things. God does not want you to worship things. God just wants you to put him first. Then he'll bless you back. We're stewards of everything he allows us to have because he owns all the donuts. He's God first in your interests. I. What are you most interested in? What preoccupies the majority of your time? What kind of material do you read? How much time do you set aside for him? Is God a major part of your interests? If he's not a major part of your interests, if you have little interest in his will all week long, then he's not first in your life. If you have hours of your week for Facebook and other social media, hours for sports, hours for your hobby, hours for chilling out. But in all of that, Jesus gets lost in the trunk. Is he first in your finance? Is he first in your interests? R, is God first in your relationships? Is he first? Do you put his will above your will? See, you know, people today date anybody they want saying it has nothing to do with my spiritual life. I'll do whatever I choose. That's not putting God first. Hear the word of the Lord. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's a straight-up command from Scripture. That's not a suggestion. That's a directive. And if God's will is not first in your relationships, he's not first in your life. Well, I'm going to flirt to convert. Well, pastor, you know, he, he doesn't really serve Jesus, but he comes to church, right? That makes it all right, right? That's not what the Word says. That's not what the Word of God says. You know, you can, you can drive anything into the building that doesn't make it Christian, okay? You can walk a duck down the center aisle, doesn't make it a Christian just because they're in the building, no matter how good he or she looks, how wealthy, how educated, 
If they don't love Jesus first, you've got no business with them. Merry Christmas. First in your finances, in your interests, and in your relationships. Is God first in S, your schedule? What does your schedule look like? What's your day like? If he's not first in your day, what does that mean? If there's no communion, no Bible reading, no prayer, no feeding your spirit man, if you barely acknowledge God all week long, you have Jesus in the trunk or the back seat, he's your happy hour, Jesus. That's what he really is. When God is first, he will affect your schedule. Daily prayer, daily taking in his word. Because if you'll read the word 15 minutes a day, you can read through the entire Bible in one year. It doesn't require huge amounts of time. It's scheduling it in. You commit, I will read his word daily. I will pray daily. Those are mandatory ingredients for my spiritual development. And if you read the word, the, read will, the word will read you. And dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. So if you read this book, it will cleanse you. It will sanctify you. It will direct you. It will set you free. It gives you strength. Now, you might not need what word you read on any given morning. You think, well, I just read that. took 15 minutes. Not sure what I read. Doesn't seem to make a big difference from my life right now. And so you kind of tuck that away. Listen to me carefully. You might not need that word that you read this morning. You just read it. But the next day or the next week, when all hell breaks loose, the Holy Spirit will remind you of every word you read. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And confidence comes to you because God is in your schedule. Not an afterthought. You don't panic because God is in the schedule. Is God first in T, your trouble? What do you do when trouble comes? You open a bottle? Do you turn to a pill? Do you cave into anger? Do you turn to depression or fear or worry? What's your default position in trouble? The real sign that Jesus is first in your life, because you know, you meet somebody and Jesus is first in his or her life, they're not exempt from trouble. Trouble comes to all of us, but when trouble comes, they know who to turn to. They know who to turn to. I looked at the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. So I run to and cling to him in time of trouble. My first thought, not the bank. First thought, not the doctor. Some other remedy. My first thought is Jesus. Jesus. Who do you run to in time of trouble? That's a telltale sign if God is first. If he's first, you'll have his perspective. If he's first, because you, you begin to see what he sees. If he's first, you become prayerful. So it's constant fellowship. God, got to have your help. Need your wisdom. Need your, if he's first, you'll realize you've got enormous, enormous potential to do the things that God's created you to do beyond what you've thought, seen, or imagined. If he's first, you'll be positive. If he's first, you'll see his miraculous intervention because God owns all the donuts. And when he's first, he'll bless you in ways that'll astound you. 
So we're coming up on Christmas, end of the year, celebration of a holy day we call the birth of Jesus Christ. Remember all the things he brought when he came in human form. He came to build a bridge. He left his kingly position, became a baby, vulnerable, a child, and grew up like all of us do so he could say to each of us, I experienced that. I know what that's like. I went through that too. And I'm praying that over your life you'll recognize the fact that God has a perspective for you. He has communion and fellowship in those gifts with you. Potential. It's got a positive direction for your life. Provision. So when those disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, they had no clue what they were asking for because these are the elements that Jesus practiced. He said, I won't even utter a word until I've conferred with my Father. I will take no action until I've conferred with my Father. Wow. He's God. Oh, my goodness. And so that gift of prayer, of all the gifts he brings us at Christmas, our forgiveness, our salvation, our redemption, our healing, our eternal destination, our earthly destination. One of the great key ingredients to making all those things come to pass is our ability to come to God and say, I need your perspective. I need to talk with you on a regular basis, frequently through the day. I need to have you release in me the things that need to be released so I can grow in the body where you planted me. I need to have an attitude that looks forward. And I know you're going to take care of me because I'm going to put you first. Wow. That's the kind of confidence with what Jesus did his work in ministry. That's the kind of confidence he wants his followers to have. So stand with me. Thank God for his faithfulness to you that he brought you this gift at Christmas and said, look what I'm putting in your hand. Now you have hope. Now you've got a future. My plans are good. My intentions are good for you. Thank him for all he's done for you and going to do for you.